We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are talking about uh, the new film uh, by director Taika Waititi uh, called Next Goal Wins, out in theaters now. Jesse, want to tell us a little bit about Next Goal Wins? Sure. Next Goal Wins is about the best soccer team of all time, the National Football Team of American Samoa. Sorry, scratch that. The worst soccer team of all time. Uh, This tells the story, uh, based on a true story, of the American Samoa National Football Team. Uh, It was considered the worst soccer team or football team, depending on uh, where you are from, meaning America or everywhere else uh, in the world. It was a team that started in the late 90s and it did not win a single game um, in, in a, a any match, any international match ever. They never even scored one goal. Never even scored one goal in a game. Um, and so the, the story really tells uh, of... Uh, Thomas Ron Rongan, I, I believe. I, I just want to. I just want to add to that. I mean, they, they famously had the uh, worst loss uh, in international soccer competition, international football competition ever. Thirty-two to nothing. Thirty-one. Blowout. Thirty-one nothing. Uh, when Australia defeated them uh, in the two thousand and one World Cup qualifiers, um, and. Uh, so much so they were considered so weak that I guess because they are an American territory, they were funded by the uh, American uh, Soccer Association, and they were thinking of cutting ties and not having a national club for American Samoa. Um, but the story uh, really takes place um, focusing on uh, the qualifiers for the 2014 World Cup and hiring a new coach, as I said, Thomas Rangan, who, who uh, uh, was played by Michael Fassbender. And the story is about him adjusting to life on the island of America, Samoa, a much more slow-paced, relaxing life. Uh, they joke that I think the speed limit on the island is 30 miles an hour. Um, it's an island that is pretty poor. Everybody has multiple jobs. But it's an island where everybody seems to be happy. It's an island where religion is very important. Uh, a a bell tolls at 12 o'clock every day, and everybody pauses what they're doing, and they pray. They add, add in their own private prayers and make space for their private prayers. Um and the story is meant to be a comedy, certainly uh, co-ran by Taika Waititi. Uh, it's very funny, uh, but it tells the story of this soccer coach who leads a bad team to this qualifier, and they win. They they score a goal. Oh, spoiler alert. They win their first game ever against the island nation of Tonga. Um, 
they end up losing the next game and don't make it to the World Cup. Um, but it is uh, very well received in its joy uh, and celebration and their appreciation of what he's able to accomplish and what they are able to accomplish. I think there are a couple of things that really stand out uh, in this movie. One is that um, Thomas Rangan, he he plays uh, the typical grumpy angry uh, coach. He's almost like a, a Bobby uh, Knight type of coach. Um, he, he's he's um, a, a coach who is throwing things on the field. He's a coach that screams at his players. He's a coach that yells at them. Um, and yet he ends up at the end of the movie focusing on joy because the players help to focus on joy. Like this is a fun game. This is a kid's game that we get to play. Don't forget that this is supposed to be fun. One thing that we also find out throughout at the end of the movie, he keeps listening to voicemail messages from his uh, young adult daughter and he's not calling her back. And we're made to think, why aren't you calling her back? Maybe it's the time difference because you, she's on the East Coast and you're on this uh, Pacific Island. And we find out that she had died a couple of years earlier. Um, and there's really a message of grief in this film and how you process grief. Um, and I, I think there's also a message of love and acceptance uh, and inclusivity. Uh, one of the, the more beautiful things is that he is very rude to one of the players uh, initially. Uh, she ends up being the captain, Jaya. Uh, Jaya is, uh, is, is trans, um, but because of, uh, the, I guess, the rules for the FIFA uh is with regards to one's sex organs rather than one's gender identity uh she is on the men's team at that point for american samoa and um he scoffs at her initially and then learns to respect her and realizes she's the leader of the team and it's really a story of inclusivity especially when she ends up scoring the winning goal of that first match that they ever won against tonga um you know Rotten Tomatoes, I know we've had our stories about Rotten Tomatoes and our thoughts on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes, their tomato meter of reviews, has not reviewed the movie so positively, giving it a 41%. The audience score is much better at 84%. Um, I happen to think that it was a fun movie. It was a funny movie. It was a feel-good movie. I have a 10-year-old son right now who is obsessed with all things soccer, uh, and he has really enjoyed the movie. Um, but I also know that it hasn't done so well in the box office. right? It's, it's, it's only grossed, uh, I want to say, uh, $5 million, $6 million since it's been released about a week and a half ago. Um, not that that speaks volumes about its success and how good of a movie it is, but I think the box office numbers do speak to maybe the excitement or anticipation to see the film compared to not. Mike, what did you think? Yeah, so um, I uh, have I, I generally speaking like the movie enjoyed it. I think I have a few few uh, disparate thoughts uh, in reaction to some of the things that you said. Um, the first is uh, that uh, I uh, learned that I had been pronouncing. Uh, the name of the uh, the the territory wrong all this time. Uh, it, uh, it apparently is pronounced Samoa or something like something closer to that. I can't quite get the uh, accent right. Um, so I'm going to have to change the way I relate to the Girl Scout cookie of the same name. Um, 
Which, just... depending on where you're from in the Midwest, that Girl Scout cookie is not called that because it is seen as offensive. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Well, good to, good to know. Maybe I won't call it that at all anymore. Uh, the second thing that uh, that that I uh, learned uh, is that there was a Richmond connection, Richmond, Virginia connection to the movie. Uh, uh, Thomas Rungan's daughter, uh, who we learn uh, in the course of the movie had uh, died in a car accident, uh, was a uh, freshman at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, which is star uh, star soccer player. There. Yes. Uh, so. Um, uh, he, she was a, a a rising star soccer player at Virginia Commonwealth University, which is in Richmond, uh, and, and died in a car accident. Um, the uh, uh, Beyond that, I, you know, I think that uh, I don't put a lot of stock in Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I can see why uh, critics were not, you know, by and large, incredibly favorable to uh, to, to the movie. Um, I don't think it was a great movie by, you know, sort of objective filmmaking standards. Um, I don't think it's one of Ty even one of Taika Waititi's bests. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, when you go into uh, what the critics actually say about the movie, this is why one of the reasons why I don't like Rotten Tomatoes is I actually don't think that the critical response to the movie was so uh, overwhelmingly negative. Um, it just was, you know, not overwhelmingly positive. And the way that uh, the, the Rotten Tomatoes AI aggregates uh, those reviews uh, puts it into the negative category. I think that it may be undeserved, um, but I can also see why it scores much more favorably by audience reaction. I think that it was a, you know, nice feel good crowd pleasing movie, a nice, you know, holiday weekend uh, kind of movie. I took the, we took the whole family, uh, everybody Perfect holiday weekend family it. movie. Yeah. Everybody enjoyed it. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and, and it was a, a fun time at, at the movies. Um, it, to me, uh, is a, you know, genre, uh, one of the reasons why we actually went to go see it in the theater, um, is, you know, to, uh, to try to send, uh, however, surreptitiously a, a message to Hollywood that it should make more of these kind of movies. Um, and I think that we're, we're in an era, uh, in which, uh, increasingly you either get, you know, very big films, uh, or very small films. Uh, and there's not a lot of, uh, of, of you know, the, these kind of, you know, uh, uh, low budget, mid budget uh, in between films. So I, I don't know what how the box office do, is doing of this movie. You, you mentioned a figure that I'll take you at your word for it. Um, I'm not sure, given that uh, 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 given that reality that the movie would be considered by its distributor to be uh, a failure because it probably did not cost all that much to make uh, or to market. Uh, so, uh, you know, my, my hope is that, you know, they will make more of these movies. Um, uh, there, there was a time, uh, especially when you and I were growing up, Jesse, that, you know, that these movies came out quite frequently, uh, sure. whether the, the sort of feel good adult sports movies, uh, like remember the Titans or, uh, we are Marshall or, or something like that. Um, uh, or the feel good, you know, kids sports comedies, uh, which, which I, you know, always really loved growing up your, your, your mighty ducks. Uh, your Bad News Bears, uh, your uh, Little Giants, your Sandlots of the world. Uh, and this movie, I think, shared a lot of DNA with with those movies. And and I really appreciated it. And, and my kids really appreciated it. It was not um, uh, such sophisticated humor. Uh, that's, you know, Taika Waititi is, is not known really for his sophisticated humor uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, so it was it, it was uh, great in, in, in those respects. You know, we, we laughed. There were some, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big sap for these kind of movies. So there were some crying moments. Um, it, you know, really hit in the feel. So that, that was uh, that that was great. 
Um, you know, I I think uh, that, uh, you know, the, the themes that you mentioned that this movie uh, highlights, uh, you know, to me, uh, did not uh, hit so hard. Um, you know, this was this was a very light and breezy movie. It touched on some uh, more difficult themes, uh, but it did not uh, dwell on them. You know, I could even uh, say, like, in some ways, I uh, sort of would glibly say, like, this is like uh, an origin story for Ted Lasso. Right. This is how uh, this is how Al Pacino in uh, uh, um, in any given, given Sunday, Sunday uh, quoted a, in the movie. Yeah, which is right, which is a uh, a reference that is mentioned in the movie uh, turns into Ted Lasso. Uh, um, but I think that, you know, Ted Lasso in, in a lot of ways does a more effective job. Uh, and and maybe, you know, this would have been better as a TV so- series in some ways, uh, kind of, you know, fleshing out the characters on the team a little bit more. Uh, there were, you know, a hand, very small handful of characters on the team um, that we that we get to know and appreciate. Jaya being one, uh, the 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 goalie who was responsible for having given up 31 goals uh, uh, to Australia and in that uh, um, infamous Nikki nap. Salapu. Yeah, um, uh, you know we 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 get to know him a little bit, but the but the movie doesn't give a lot of breathing space uh, for for those characters. It's a you know hour and a half hour forty five minute movie, which is great. I'm not complaining about that. Movies in general, I think, are too long nowadays, uh, and uh, and you know and and so I so I appreciated that. Uh, but but there wasn't a lot of breathing room for the themes and for the characters to to really kind of uh, develop. Um, this was you know uh, you know dip in dip out, uh, feel good, laugh a little. Uh, kind of kind of movie. So tell me, Jesse, uh, about you know how you're how you're uh, thinking about navigating the the deeper themes that you uh, highlighted in the movie. Yeah, I I, I agree with you, Mike. That um, it was sort of lighthearted, dip in, dip out type of movie. What I find so interesting, this was actually based on a, a 2014 documentary of the same name about the American Samoa team, um, and that documentary was overwhelmingly uh, approved uh, by um, critics. And I I think... uh, And that documentary is really, is relatively recent. What what did you say, 2014? 2014. Yeah. But but I, I, I just find it interesting that Taika is trying to add comedy to the story, lightheartedness to the story, and maybe that's what critics don't like. I- I'm not sure. I found with the with the uh, the story itself two things. One, um, the main character Thomas, the the coach played by Michael Fassbender, um, he's so hard on the team and can't understand why they're just like having fun. Uh, so many of them have multiple jobs. Uh, and finally, at the end of the movie, when they are down one nothing at the half, which is pretty impressive, um, he, he looks at uh, uh, Tavita, who who is played by Oscar Knightley, um, and um, he tells him, we're not going to win this game. And Oscar Knightley says, yeah, we're probably not going to win this game. Um, and says, but you know what? We We're going to have fun. And Thomas finally says in the locker room, this is what's missing. Don't listen to me. I haven't prioritized having fun. I haven't prioritized joy. Um, I've just prioritized the the sort of running drills and going back and forth. And sure, that's how you become great uh, as a player. Um, but when you lose the importance of fun, then you lose everything. And uh, I, I think that was really important to me. 
I think a lot of times uh, we focus on, we being the Jewish community, focus on halakha, focus on uh, Jewish ritual, focus on the letter of the law, focus on how to do things properly or correctly uh, in our liturgical services. And we do not emphasize the importance of joyful Judaism. You know, when people ask me, what is the most important thing that our kids learn in our Jewish learning center, which is what we call our Hebrew school here at Bethel in South Orange, I say it's joyful Jewish experiences because you're never going to learn everything that you have to know. But if you don't find joy in those experiences, then you're not going to want to come back. And uh, at the end of the movie, the movie really emphasized just having fun more than anything else, not being so worried about the defender staying back not being so worried about the striker being in position, but just having fun on the field, doing something fun. And I think too many in the Jewish community see Judaism or Jewish ritual as a burden and don't find joy in that Jewish experience. And that's on us, right? That's something that we have to focus on, less on the burden and more on the joy. So I want to push back on that a little bit uh, because, you know, I think that one of the things that, uh, that, that, uh, Michael Fassbender, Fassbender's character Thomas Rungan realizes uh, during the course of the of the film that enables him to you know sort of open himself up uh, to uh, allowing his team to just enjoy themselves and 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 have fun and know that you know if they're going to win it's because they are um, uh, they, they are uh, like actually like, happy to be there. Um, I, I certainly, you know, think that there is uh, value to what you're to what you're saying there. But one of the things that you know comes up in the course of that epiphany or realization that that he has is soccer is just a game or football is just a game, right? It's like it's really ultimately, like, uh, you know, it's 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 his life. Uh, you know, he he takes it seriously. Uh, he wants to win. Like this is his career. You know, these are professional soccer players too, right? In some ways, uh, this is their career uh, also. Uh, but ultimately, soccer is is just a game. Um, and and I don't think that that is uh, 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 this. I don't think that the, the analogy is true of, uh, of of Judaism. Like Judaism just isn't just a fun pastime. It doesn't really matter. Uh, uh, you know, uh, what, what it means, uh, how, how significant a role it plays in your life. Um, so I, 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 uh, I, I tend to agree on some level that as a way in, uh, uh, joyful Jewish experiences are important, especially in the context of choice in which we live, in which we're all, you know, kind of, uh, choosing or not choosing Judaism. But I, there's a, there's a, you know, R rabbi joke number 28, uh, it, you know, it tells of a rabbi that uh, has a, a member of his congregation, you know, come over to him and say, you know, Rabbi, I'm, I'm going to I'm leaving Judaism. You know, Judaism is just too serious. It's just like, I, I you know, it's too somber, too solemn. Um, rabbi says, OK, tell me a little bit about your Jewish experience. Like, why why is it registering for you that way? And, he's, uh, and says, well, I come to synagogue on, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, um, and it's just, you know, it's just like, you're going to die, and, you know, God is judging you, and, you know, let's beat our chest. And the rabbi said, oh, well, that's, you're you're just going, you're having the wrong Jewish experiences. You should uh, come on Simchat Torah and come on Purim, like, it'll be a, a radically different thing. So a year later, the guy comes back and says, rabbi, you know, I'm done with Judaism. Uh, it's just not serious. Um, right. And and the, the point, I think, is that Judaism uh, 
is both, right? Like Ecclesiastes famously says, right? There's a, a, a time and a place, a season for everything under, under heaven. Um, and there is space and a role for joy in Judaism, but joy isn't the exclusive or even default Jewish disposition, I, I think. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that we do a disservice to, uh, to our uh, congregants uh, to our children, if all they know of or see in Judaism is a fun time. Uh, because if that's all Judaism is, then it's not there for you when you are uh, experiencing the moments of, of trauma and crisis in your life. It's not there for you when you want to think seriously about how to uh, repair a broken world. Um, Judaism should be, I think, uh, challenging, should be pushing. Uh, Michael Lerner, uh, famously wrote in, in his great book, uh, Jewish Renewal, uh, that when he studied American Jews who had left congregations, uh, what he learned is that um, is that people were were abandoning Judaism, not because Judaism was too different from the overall um, like culture that they were living in, uh, but because Judaism was too similar. In other words, there were uh, there, there there was a focus in in Hebrew school and in synagogue of like learning Jewish practices and Jewish rituals, like you're saying, Jesse. Uh, but uh, but but they, but they were but they were shallow. They were empty. They were they were vapid. You know, and they, they were sort of focused, just like our culture is. You know, we have this consumerist culture that's focused on you know pleasure and enjoyment. Um, there was no there was no depth, no richness, uh, no no challenge to any of those practices or ideals like he said you know that they wanted to they, and demanded give me something that will change the way i look uh about look at my life and the way i see the world like that's worth my time and energy not you know just like spinning the dreidel yeah but i, I think it's an unfair comparison to connect joy and, and sort of what you're talking about the sort of shallow idea of of judaism and, and jewish ritual First and foremost, I, I think if we don't introduce our children to joyful Jewish experiences, um, they're obviously their relationship with Judaism needs to be age appropriate. But if we don't introduce them to joyful Jewish experiences, then there's going to be no desire for them to stay connected to Judaism when they're able to make decisions for themselves. And I, I, I would challenge back the idea that joy doesn't equal uh, how serious one takes it, right? Connecting back to this movie, all of these players work three or four jobs just so they could play a kid's game, right? They work these multiple jobs, burden themselves just so they could experience joy. For many, right? Uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner used to say that God is the sense of calm in a world of chaos. For many, Judaism is that joy when they actually don't experience joy anywhere else in this world. This moment in, in our reality is a good example that the world is very dark right now. The world is very challenging right now. And if we can make space to sing, if we can make space to daven and daven in a way that moves us, that allows us to bang on the tables and clap and sway 
and chuckle and, and move back and forth. To me, that is joy. That doesn't take away from the seriousness of the moment. That actually, that joy adds to the seriousness of the moment. Mishnatani, I agree with this this joke that, that you said, but Mishnatani actually says that Yom Kippur, a day that we see as so serious, is actually the most joyous day of the year uh, because we are forgiven because our slate is wiped clean. And so I think we need to find that balance. I also agree with you that the need for polarities, you do not appreciate joy until you understand sadness, right? That's why there's a, a time for every experience under the, the sun. Heschel said those polarities used to allow us to appreciate those great extremes more. But I think that that joy in a dark world in a challenging world. And we've been dealing with a challenging world for forever, but actually over the past, you know, three uh, plus years, it, it seems more challenging than ever before. We need those moments for joy. We need those moments for community. Yes, we need those moments to grieve in community, to pray in community, to cry in community, but we also need those moments for joy. Well, I I, I, I think that, you know, we're, we're getting at, uh, um, and I don't necessarily disagree with anything that you just said. I think that we're getting at a, um, a, a, a difference of perspective on the on the meaning of joy and what produces it. Uh, and, you know, I think that of, of the things that you mentioned, right, uh, the kind of davening, let's just use that as an example that you're that you're talking about, I think, is uh, uh, is only joyful only produces that uh, that that sense. The community that's formed around such davening, I think only produces that kind of experience. Um, when you have a sense of what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it um, and, you know, and, and how to do it. Uh, and so I, I, I think, and that's, I think, also true of the movie, right? So these, the, these soccer players who, you know, are working multiple jobs in order to play this kid's game, um, and the ultimate lesson that they have is just go out there and have fun. Um, it is an ineffective lesson if they don't know how to play soccer in the first place, right? They're, 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 sure, but once they had fun, they actually won a game. I agree with that, but they also need to know how to play soccer in the first place. Of course. And I, right. And, and they discover the, the joy of playing uh, through the experience of playing as best they can. Right. So um, I, I think that uh, it's not only about, uh, you know, a, a balance of these things, but I think that our tradition would say that joy is an outgrowth of um, of, of engaging in these, you know, traditional practices with with uh, with with Kavana um, and with uh, um, with with a, with a sense that you're not doing them as a chore, but you're doing them uh, as, as something that that has intrinsic uh, value and meaning. Right. So um, the you know, the rabbinic tradition teaches right there's 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 nothing more joyous than torah study right um there's an intrinsic joy to to studying torah seriously um there's joy in community there's joy in davening but if you don't know how to do those things um then they're not they're, they're they are going to feel like chores um or they're not going to produce those kinds of outcomes and sometimes the only way to uh to you know to to learn those skills um, is through, you know, is through fundamentals drills, right? So the, as kids, they learned how to play soccer um, uh, 
hopefully with coaches that were able to, you know, uh, uh, nurture them and be patient with them. Uh, but they had to learn how to dribble. They had to learn how to, you know, shoot on goal. They had to learn how to block goals. I, I this, you're reaching the limits of my soccer lingo here. Uh, but, um, I was on the I was on the purple team when I was in kindergarten. We were very bad, uh, but uh, uh, you know. But at some point, they had to learn the game, um, and not just and not only uh, and at some point not, they not only learned the game right, but learned how to be good enough at the game that they could play professionally. That didn't just take you know going out to the field, running around carefree and. Um, and, you know, and, and just having a good time, right? They also, there was serious learning there too. Of course. You know, I think there has to be a balance. My father often says, uh, oftentimes we only look at the letter of the law and not the intent behind it. And oftentimes too many people only look at the intent and um, don't care about following the letter of the law, right? And, and there has to be a balance. Knowledge is important in order to do ritual, uh, but if we are only focused on uh, how to do something, quote unquote, correctly, uh, or how to, you know, in halakhic terms, fulfill our chiyu, fulfill our obligation, and only do things because we're fulfilling our obligation without trying to find joy in what we are doing, then I think we're missing the point. But if we're only looking to for, for joy and meaning and not looking for depth, then I understand what you're saying, that it can come off and feel very shallow. The other thing I want to bring up, though, um, Thomas did not feel that sense of joy and did not care about joy because he was grieving. And I think that, that that's also an, an important uh, quality of community. I appreciate what you're saying, that community needs to be there when we are grieving, but community is also very successful in when we are grieving, lifting us up, right? We transition after Kavod mates, after we lay our loved ones to rest, our communal obligation shifts to Nihum Avelim, to comforting those who mourn and helping lift them up to be able to find slivers of light again, moments of, of joy again. And this team was able to do that for Thomas. He didn't stay. Right. He didn't take another coaching job, but he didn't stay in American Samoa. But he realized that where he needed to go next, the relationships he needed to prepare, the work on himself he needed to do. And that was a very powerful uh, lesson for him and how to still find uh, moments of joy again in his life. Well, right. I mean, he found it in the context of community. I think that that is something uh, that, uh, you know, clearly uh, is. Uh, lacking in in his life uh, and, and something that I think is um, one of the most beautiful and um, and urbane aspects of, of Jewish tradition you know long before uh, we you know had Elizabeth Kubler Ross and and uh, uh, you know modern uh, psychology Jewish tradition um, has a a, a, a multi-step process of of grieving um, that it encourages that I think is is just so uh, rich and profound. And I wonder what uh, uh, Thomas Rungin's life trajectory would have looked like following the incredible, you know, trauma of of uh, losing his uh, daughter in her prime and in, in a in a tragic car accident. Um, he, you know, he clearly did not uh, work through that trauma. He clearly did not work through that grief. He did not have 
uh, he, uh, he either didn't have or didn't turn to a community. He didn't uh, really confront the reality of that loss. He, you know, he turned to alcohol and he turned, uh, and he, he leaned into his anger. Anger, we now know, is one of the uh, uh, most noteworthy stages of grief. Grief and a lot of people stick on that. He's also in denial in some ways, right? Because he's still listening to that voicemail over and over again. He hasn't really confronted the reality of of his daughter's death. Um, uh, and so you know, it, it, so there there is, I think, a, a way in which right uh, we we see him coming to the you know Jewish practices and processes of grief uh, much later when he finds this you know embracing and welcoming community of an American Samoa uh, that uh, that that you know just just wants to love him um, just wants to be there for him just wants to care about him um, hoping that he will also care about them of course right it's not just you know it's not it's not purely altruistic but um, and it's only through that community only through that he's able to finally talk about the trauma that he experienced um that he's able to uh to to um you know see that there is purpose and meaning and joy indeed to be found in life again um and and i think that that you know that that's again you know it's it's a, a, a an aspect of, of traditional jewish practice um that i think is is tragic that has been somewhat lost uh among, thankfully i think you know, many Jews, even those who are fairly disengaged from Jewish life and, and Jewish community, still uh, in, in moments of, of pain, moments of, of trauma, moments of grief, will uh, uh, embrace some of the traditions around Jewish grieving. And I think it does help. But I think that going back to this previous conversation, right, I think that the more people recognize that these practices and these traditions um, especially embedded in a in a sort of like thicker context of uh, of, of Jewish life and Jewish community, um, uh, enable us you know not only to to uh, be resilient in the face of uh, of, of trauma, uh, but uh, but to grow uh, through it. Um, and, you know, I, I'm fortunate in my life uh, to uh, have not had you know a personal uh, uh, trauma, in, in 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 certainly not in that way. Um, but but to the point that you're making before, Jesse, I mean, we're we're living through you know sort of ongoing collective trauma in a lot of ways uh, over and over again. Uh, you know, this moment right now, uh, just a, a, about a month and a half uh, after the uh, terrorist attacks of October seventh, as we record this, uh, hostages now uh, being uh, 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 released, um, making their way back home. Um, you know that. That is its own trauma for them and their families, but we're, we have this sort of collective trauma. I think there's so much trauma and so much grief that we're working through and processing right now. Um, and it's no wonder, I think, especially in America, um, that we're so angry all the time um, because it, you know this is a grief response. There's so much change, uh, so much upheaval, so much has been lost, so much has been gained, but so much, but 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 uh, uh, but but change. Uh, all change uh, involves grief because you're because you're you're losing something that that existed before that you no longer have, um, and uh, and and even those of us who feel like there's a lot that we have gained over the past ten years, twenty years, as societies move through these rapid seasons of of change, there's a lot that we've lost too. We haven't processed that grief. I think Judaism can help, um, and uh, and and maybe an, an avenue through uh, all of the profound um, uh, anger. 
uh, that we're that we're we're feeling and experiencing toward one another right now. You know, that last stage of Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief is acceptance. Um, and you see throughout the movie also, um, which we don't realize at the very beginning of the movie, that Ga- Gail, the character plays by Elizabeth Moss, uh, is um, Thomas's ex-wife or they're separated, used to be married. Um, and grief also plays a role in potentially uh, bringing couples closer or ending relationships as well. And it's clear that he went in a downward spiral. Um, and to him, he kept looking up, hoping that they would get back together. When she came to visit him, uh, he, he thought that they were going to to kiss and, and make up. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, he looks up and he sees her uh, kissing her, her boyfriend, uh, the character of Alex, played by Will Arnett, and realizes it's this is the new reality and I have to move on. And I think that that is also really important, that community helped lead him to that. That's an yeah. important life lesson. Yeah, and and uh, and I think that that uh, notion of acceptance and the journey that that he makes toward acceptance as a part of working through his grief um, is is really uh, most powerfully expressed in his changing relationship with with Jaya, uh, the, the the transgender uh, player on on his team um, on the American Samoa team, uh, which is a you know an incredible. Uh, in, inspiring story, um, uh, uh, and uh, and and I think is really effective in in the movie. Uh, and uh, um, I think a real, you know, th- this is I, I think uh, as a uh, metaphor for you know for what's going on in our world and our society. I think one of the you know significant changes of let's say the past decade um, is the you know, growing understanding, awareness, and inclusion of uh, transgender people uh, in our society. Um, uh, but I think that we haven't uh, quite grappled with the the fact that you know that that, that so many people, um, I think, well-meaning people in a lot of cases, there there certainly are people uh, on you know involved in this you know kind of social conversation uh, that uh, are, are bad faith actors. But I think that there, I you know, I know plenty of people, especially older people, who you know want to be loving, uh, accepting. Uh, people and you know treat everybody uh, fairly and, and the same and uh, um, that uh, that that the change when it comes to um, uh, transgender inclusion has been you know uh, uh, dramatic and rapid for them that they haven't uh, quite uh, um, uh, grappled with you know what in their old world has been lost or their world old, old understanding has been lost in the course of that change um, and so I think that that again, you know, kind of uh, um, helps explain, uh, not excuse, but helps explain some of the uh, resistance and pushback um, and and even anger that we're seeing in some quarters around um, these evolving understandings of of gender and gender identity, um, and perhaps gives a a window uh, to a a way through, uh, recognizing that uh, that uh, first of all, to uh, accept people for who they are doesn't diminish us um, and, in, and and indeed can uh, provide so much strength uh, to, uh, to to the rest of the community. I mean, it's what uplifts the team um, in the end is is uh, is is enabling Jaya to be uh, herself uh, and uh, and to see that that uh, that she can embrace who she is and giving the other members of the team the permission to do so as well 
helping them, you know, kind of facilitate their their victory. I think that there's a lot in that that we can learn from as a, as a model that when we uh, embrace people for for who they are, we all uh, we all win. Like that's a that's a pathway through for for all of us, and I think a, a deeply Jewish one. And I'm sort of in awe of uh, the team from American Samoa, right? They always embraced her. Right. Uh, they they rallied around her, supported her so much so that she was the captain. The end of the movie, she was the captain of their team. Um, and that was a statement of Thomas finally embracing her. But I find it fascinating that often in, in sports movies, you see uh, gender discrimination. You know, all, you know, the world of sports is often criticized for being homophobic, transphobic. And um, she was really embra- embraced by her team. And it seems like by the island before she was embraced by this white Dutch, uh, you know, coach. And I find that really interesting. Um, and a lesson for all of us. The last thing I want to touch, yeah, please. Okay, I just want to say about uh, that, you you mentioned uh, Thomas Rungan's national origin. Uh, This was not my favorite Michael Fassbender performance. Uh, uh, He uh, didn't even try phoning in a a Dutch accent. Um, You know, Michael Fassbender, great in a lot of things, uh, has been on a little bit of a hiatus, so it's nice to see him back. He's sort of all over the place at the moment. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, but, but I, but I did feel, uh, just as a sort of, you know, uh, on a, on a film level and on a performance level, this was not his finest hour. So much so that actually at the beginning of the movie, when he had that thick beard, I didn't recognize that it was Michael Fassbender for what it's worth. Um, the last thing I want to touch on, which I touched on at the beginning is how religious of a community American Samoa as an island seems to be that they pause every day for prayer, no matter where they are. And um, that's a lesson, I think, for all of us. Traditionally, in, in Judaism, we pray three times a day, and there are those that treat um, davening three times a day as an important part of our life routines, that it centers us uh, to borrow a term from Eastern religions. Um, and I find it very powerful that no matter what one is doing, it's not liturgical in nature. It's not what we call keva. It's not fixed prayer, but to set aside time for yourself every day for your personal prayers is very powerful. It almost reminded me of um, Rabbi Nachman of Bratislav's uh, process of heat bodedut, his his custom of praying out loud every day, uh, but in the woods right? You're basically in nature, in public, but you're also in private. And there's something very powerful about making space for personal prayer. And I think as Jews, we don't do that enough. We're not as comfortable with prayer. I, I like to say, right, Jews are very good at davening and we're not so good at praying, right? We're we're much more comfortable uh, leaning on the crutch that is fixed liturgy. And we are less comfortable pouring our hearts out and opening our hearts out to the world. And this is something that I think we need to focus more on, something we can all uh, take a lesson from this movie on and make more personal space for personal prayer. Yeah, well, I think that that was uh, a, a feature of the movie that is is worth us, uh, you know, reflecting on, right? Thomas Rungin, the, the, the sort of Dutch 
you know, and, and uh, Holland is, uh, you know, a, a sort of in a lot of ways model uh, European secularized uh, society. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of history and good reasons for the, you know, uh, process of secularization in Europe, uh, but, uh, but, but also something that is uh, deeply lost in only approaching the world through that kind of, you know, uh, scientific rationalist uh, secularized uh, framework uh, that that he clearly is approaching the world. And I think that, you know, one, one of the uh, uh, messages of the movie is that, you know, that uh, that that sort of, you know, pure faith, the, the, the capacity to to access your your spiritual side, the the, the capacity to sort of like reach beyond yourself uh, in prayer um, that is very much not part of of European or American uh, uh, society uh, nowadays, you know, we 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 come to and uh, he you know kind of shows in the movie he sort of uh, looks at it somewhat derisively at first or at least you know quizzically doesn't really understand what's going on, um, but what we I think see is that the uh, that the um, that the Samoans um, are have a much more sort of like healthy orientation to life. Uh, a much more joyful orientation to life, um, uh, 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 because I think in, in large part because they have access to that side of themselves, um, they they cherish, they prioritize that side of themselves, um, and there is indeed something that's lost when we uh, when we lose that capacity uh, for for stretching out beyond uh, beyond ourselves and only looking the, at the world through you know a sort of materialistic, uh, rationalistic, uh, scientific lens and framework. Let that be a lesson for all of us um, to make more space for prayer, make more space for God, make more space for faith. And may that be a reminder uh, that the world is larger than just us and the materialistic world that we often center ourselves in. As they apparently say in uh, uh, Samoa, amene. Amene. Uh, so with that in mind, Mike, um, I, I hope... Um, you know, even if you aren't that good at soccer, maybe on, on FIFA, uh, on uh, Nintendo Switch, that's maybe your your chance. Like uh, Nicky uh, Salapo, you know, who, who replays his game uh, on FIFA. If there's anything that I'm probably worse at than regular soccer, it is video game soccer. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, we hope you watched this movie. And if you haven't, based on the box office numbers, we hope that you will consider watching it in the coming weeks and let us know what you thought of Next School Wins and what you think of this latest episode of Jcast Network's Pop Torah. And until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Take care, everyone.